How are y'all this morning, boys and girls? Good morning. Good to see you here. Glad you're in God's house to worship Him. We're talking about, everybody. can everybody see? We're talking about worship this morning. So it's important that we be in God's house to worship Him today. How do you think we're going to worship God? How do we do that? Well, we pray. We read the Bible. We sing. We give an offering. All these things are important parts of worship. And you have an opportunity to go to children's worship when we leave here with Miss Sabina. All right, everybody, let's calm down. Uh, let's see, Sarah Gomez has the Happy Club bag, is that right? Let's see what Sarah brought this morning. It's something big and fluffy. Fluffy. It's a horse. Sarah, tell me about this. Is this your favorite toy? Do you like to ride horses? All right. So Sarah brought this, this, this horse because she loves to ride horses. And this is probably, does she have a name? No name, just horsey. All right. Does everybody see horse? Does anybody have any ideas about horse? <laughs> well, you know, one thing I guess that I think of when, when I think about horses is how nice they are to let us ride on their backs and, and to do work for us and to help us in so many ways. And, you know, I think about the burdens that they carry and all that they do for us. In a way, you know what, boys and girls, God does that for us too. All we have to do is cast our cares and our burdens and our worries on Him. And God takes that worry away from us so we don't have to carry it by ourselves any longer. Just like horses are, are so wonderful to help us in so many ways. God's even better. And he does so much more for us than horses do. But when you see a horse carrying a load like a person or pulling something or bags on him, think about God and what he does for us too and the burdens he carries. So let's pray and thank God for carrying our burdens for us. I'll pray and you follow after me. Dear God, thank you for loving us and for carrying our load. Help us share it with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So boys and girls, that means you don't have to be worried, you don't have to be scared, you don't have to be afraid because you can turn all that over to God and he'll carry it for you just like a horse. And he's strong, and he can carry every worry and burden and concern you have all by himself. So you don't have to be afraid anymore. Here, Sarah, here's your horse that I know you love, and that represents everything good that people do for us. Where's Parks? Will you take the bag and bring me back something good next week, Parks? Thank you. Boys and girls, if you'd like to go to children's worship, you can go with Miss Sabina.
Uh, you know, Jesus wrote the greatest love letter ever written. Uh, but I wonder what, if, if he was to ever write a love song, I wonder what it would sound like. Yeah. 
that's why we call him our king because he gave everything just for us and because of that we can sing oh worship the king please stand as we sing oh worship the king gracious and kind Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Father. We just thank thee for each one that could come out and be with the house of the Lord this morning. And Father, just bless them. And Father, we ask you to be with our pastor as he comes before us. Father, just give him the word that we need to hear and understand. 
And now, Father, we just ask you to just bless this offering, Father. Just give back to thee part of what we have made. And, Father, we ask all these things in thy name. Amen.
That is something to think that the king of the universe knows our name. That he loves us that much to be in a relationship with us. We've been in a series on theology. We've talked about God. We've talked about creation and sin and revelation and the Bible. This morning I want to talk about worship. And there's an outline in your worship bulletin. I promise to make these sermons on theology simple. And so... I've given you the ABCs of worship. If you can remember ABC, you can remember what we talk about today, and hopefully uh, in weeks, maybe months to come, you can still remember the outline of this morning's message. The ABCs of worship, real simply put, aware, bow, change. A is aware, B is bow, C is change. And any sermon on worship will probably come from Isaiah 6, Verses 1 through 8, because it, in a nutshell, is what happens when worship occurs. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Isaiah, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Shall we pray? Father, as we gather this morning to think about worship, Let all that transpires in in these sacred minutes combine to create worship that you will receive, that honors you, that cleanses us and sends us out from here having been radically changed forever. Father, help us to be aware, to respond, and to change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may not think of worship as uh, an important part of theology, but it is at the heart of our faith. And if we're living the Christian life, it's the heart of all that we do in our lives as well. The worship of God takes a lot of different forms in the Bible, just as it does around the world today. Sometimes the congregation is small and the preacher is a layman. Sometimes the congregation numbers in thousands and there is a full orchestra accompanying it. Sometimes the mood is emotional. Sometimes it is quiet and reflective. I want to suggest this morning that there are three things necessary for real worship to occur, no matter what size or style or culture of the congregation that worships. And those three things... Begin with ABC, aware and bow and change. The first one, 
Necessary component for worship is for us to be aware. Aware of what? Aware of God's claim on us and of our desperate need for Him. The fact that God has a claim on us is based on two important facts. First, that He made us. Secondly, that He redeemed us. The 100th Psalm, the writer worshiping is worshiping God and he puts it like this. It is the Lord that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Paul, referring to the salvation we have through Jesus' death on the cross, says in 1 Corinthians 6, You are not your own, you were bought with a price. So God made us and He has redeemed us. We're not talking about worshiping a big daddy in the sky or a cosmic Santa Claus. I know Jesus called him Abba, which means daddy. It was a familiar term between father and son in an intimate level. But let's never forget that when we worship God, we are coming into the presence of the holy God, the King of glory, the creator and redeemer, the holy one who is without beginning or end, the alpha and the omega, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We come into His presence, we should probably do so backwards on our hands and knees. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. Let that sink in for a minute. We have lost a sense of the the fear of God, haven't we? And when I use the word fear, I don't mean to be afraid of, but I mean to be so overwhelmed with respect and awe that when we come in here, we know we come in here to worship. There's a big difference between the way you walk into a McDonald's as opposed to walking into an audience with the Queen of England. Well, multiply that audience by about a million and you begin to sense the power of the presence of God. Think about the people in the Bible who experienced God's presence and how they responded. Moses had to take his shoes off because he said it was holy ground. Job said, my ears have heard you, my eyes have seen you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Isaiah said, I am ruined My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Thomas saw the resurrected Lord, he knew the truth that he had refused to accept before, and he exclaimed, My Lord and my God, and he fell at his feet. And in Revelation, John the Elder, when he beheld Christ, he says, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. Do you see the the respect and awe and reverence everybody who encounters God has in the Bible, and yet we stroll in so casually, like, oh, just another Sunday, just another day. But to worship God is to recognize who He is and the fact that He has chosen to reveal Himself to us. There's a a group of college students that was touring the cathedrals of Europe years ago. Specifically, uh, they were touring the, the, those that had wonderful pipe organs, and there was a renowned organist that was leading the tour group. They arrived at an old cathedral where there was a, a beautiful pipe organ, and they gathered closely around it, and the organist informed them with the touch of awe in his voice. He said, this organ was played by Johann Sebastian Bach himself. 
And one of the students raised her hand and said, can I play it? And the astonished organist replied, he said, Madam, even I have never dared play it. Let me repeat, it was played by Bach. Some people just don't get it. And when we come in here, we got to be aware of who God is and His claim on us. But we also need to be aware that we have a need for Him. Isaiah knew it immediately. He said in verse 5, Woe is me, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And then the seraph flew to him and touched his lips with coal and pronounced that his guilt was taken away and his sin was atoned for. So when we become aware of the holiness of God, we immediately become aware of our guilt and our sin. It's like walking into a formal reception and everybody there is wearing tuxedos and evening gowns and you have on a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops you immediately realize that you are terribly underdressed. Multiply that by about a billion and recognize the fact that when you stand in the presence of Almighty God, He's not just looking at you on the outside, but He is checking you out on the inside. And He sees the ugliness of your sin. We come in here with all kinds of baggage. Every Sunday, guilt and sin and hurt and pain and and suffering. And everybody here this morning is hurting somewhere. And so we come together hoping in some way that we can reach up to God and hoping even more that somehow God will reach down to us and there'll be a connection. And we may think that the problems we have are different from those that anybody else has ever had. But I can assure you the people who have worshipped God down through the ages have had the same kinds of needs. They were concerned about their loved ones, especially those who were sick. Think about all the times that people brought to Jesus a loved one who needed to be healed. Jairus, the synagogue official whose daughter was dying. The Roman centurion whose child was sick. The man who was lowered down through the roof by his four friends who obviously cared very deeply for him. Simon Peter's mother-in-law who was sick in bed with a fever. On and on the list goes. Every congregation comes to worship concerned with the health of its people. But we also come in here needing assurance for the future, needing a sense of belonging, needing a sense of of nurture through fellowship. We don't know what the future holds, but we know that God will be there with us when it arrives. And so we come and we We put our arms around each other and we huddle together and we learn how to trust Him no matter what. Isn't that what we do when we worship? We face the difficult choices in a a difficult world with the uncertainty of life and the certainty of death and we huddle together and we become aware of God's claim on our lives and our need, our desperate need for Him. That's the first thing that has to happen in worship. The second thing includes some kind of involvement. Because you can't worship God as an outsider, as a bystander. There has to be some kind of response. And and I have here B for bow. Most Baptist congregations have several ways we participate in worship. We, We sing hymns, we pray together, we give an offering And at the end of every service, we have a hymn of invitation, and there are good reasons for doing that. 
Isaiah didn't just hear God, but he said something to him. He said, here am I. Send me. Jeremiah didn't just see the hand of God in the coming disaster. He proclaimed it. James and John didn't just listen to Jesus. They followed him. Whether it was Matthew at his tax booth or Nicodemus at night or the rich young ruler who had difficulty parting from his goods, whoever, Jesus called them to a radical and public response to his proclamation of the good news. You cannot encounter God. You cannot encounter Jesus and return home unchanged. God expects some kind of response when we worship Him. That's the difference between preaching and teaching. Teaching is just imparting information. But preaching demands some kind of response to God's offer of salvation. And worship challenges us when we leave here to do something with our lives. Abraham Lincoln was invited by a friend of his to attend church one day. And after the service, he and his friend were walking home, and his friend said, well, what did you think of the service? What did you think of the preacher? And Lincoln said, well, he's a good speaker. And his friend, obviously not getting the kind of answer he hoped for, pressed further, well, did you like the preacher? And Lincoln said, honestly, I did not. And why not, asked his friend. And and Lincoln replied, because he did not ask us to do anything great for God. Because he did not ask us to do anything great for God. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, I cannot be a Paul or a Lottie Moon or a Billy Graham or a Mother Teresa. I can't do anything great like that. That's true enough, but we have things that you can do. Maybe the great thing for you to do is to teach a class or do a mission project or change a diaper or or tithe. Those would be great for some of you to try this year. Maybe you could do faith on Tuesday night. The list just goes on and on in the body of Christ. What is God calling you to do? That may be the great thing that He wants you to do. The world is waiting to see how you respond in worship because if you come in here Sunday after Sunday and leave unchanged, you'll never be the salt, you'll never be the light that God intended you to be. You'll never have an impact on the world. There has to be an awareness. There has to be a response like bowing. Third and finally, there has to be a change. When we come in here to worship, it should change us, plain and simple. We should never be the same people going out from here that we were coming in. A little girl came forward during the invitation one Sunday in a, a church, and she said to her pastor, she said, I want to redecorate my life. And of course, the pastor knew that she meant I want to rededicate my life, but you know what? She may have had something. We do need to redecorate our lives. There should be some marked difference, some change in the lives of those people who claim to be followers of God and worshipers of Him. That's what worship is supposed to do. It fills us and lifts us and equips us and gives us strength. It makes it possible for us to live differently in the world after we come in here than before. Some people wonder, well, is that really, is that realistic? Is that possible? 
Can I, by the grace of God, really be a changed person? Can I really be a different person? Is it, is it being realistic to expect a radical change to take place in my life from a relationship with God? And I will answer that question with an unequivocal yes, because I have seen it happen over and over and over again. And let me tell you, that's, that's what I get joy from. I derive joy from seeing individual lives transformed one at a time. In my last church, there was a young man named Richard. His wife and two children came to church, but Richard never, never did. And I visited with him a couple times, and he said he was reluctant to commit himself to something that he would not give 100% of himself to, and he was not ready to give 100% of himself to God. You see, Richard was a bodybuilder, and he spent hours every day lifting weights. And that's what he was giving himself to 100%. And there was just no room for Jesus in that time of day. Well, you can imagine my surprise when one day Richard came down the aisle and put his hand in mine and said, Wayne, I want to profess my faith publicly in Jesus' life, and I'm ready to give 100% to him. I watched as Richard grew in his faith and as he was discipled. He, was, he began cutting back on the hours that he spent bodybuilding. And he began giving everything in his life, everything that he had, to Jesus. He was an electrician, and so anytime there was any electrical work at the church that needed to be done, he was up there volunteering to do it. He became a deacon. He became one of my closest friends in the church. I tell you, when Jesus got a hold of Richard... Jesus got a hold of every bit of him because Richard gave himself 100% completely to Jesus. And you talk about change in somebody's life. Richard and his family, I'm so glad to say, are still active in that church. His son is now a deacon, was chairman of the last pulpit committee, and, and that family is flourishing in their relationship with the Lord. Because when you worship God, you have to change. And let me warn you, there are people out there who are watching, who know that you claim to be a follower of Christ, maybe even a member of First Baptist Church, and how you conduct yourself in the world will determine their evaluation of God and your relationship to Him. I've told this story before in faith. I don't think I've told it before in Sunday mornings, but a few years ago, I was at a drive-in window at a fast food restaurant, and I hate those windows because the speakers never work, and then you pull around to the window, and you've got to dig in your pockets for the money, and it's just, it's just hard. I usually go in. But anyway, I was, I was at a speaker, and the speaker wasn't working, and I said, I want a hamburger and fries and a Coke, and she said, that's a fish sandwich and a Sprite. I said, no, ma'am, I want a hamburger and fries and a Coke. Okay, I'll have six chicken tenders and, and a root beer for you. No, ma'am. And, and this went back and back and forth for about half a dozen times, and I got so frustrated and so angry. We couldn't understand each other. It had been a long day at church, and I was on my way home, and I was mad. And I don't lose my temper very often, but I was getting angry, and I was going to lose my temper. And as soon as I drove around to that window, I was going to give that little girl a piece of my mind. Well, I drove around to the window... And before I could say anything, she saw me and started smiling and said, You're that preacher on TV, aren't you? 
And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I like to watch you on TV. And I said, thank you very much, ma'am. And let me just say, I enjoyed talking to you on the speaker, and I know I'm going to enjoy my order when I get home. Whatever it may be. And let me warn you, there are cameras that are panning this congregation and people watching by television, and and I don't know where all our signal goes, but they're watching and they can see you sitting there. And when you go out of here, they're wondering, how does what you do in here affect how you behave out there? If you really worship, God's going to get a hold of you and he's going to change your life from the inside out. We can leave this sanctuary with new dreams and desires and we'll see possibilities where before there were only problems. And we'll know the joy of the psalmist when he wrote, I was glad when they said unto me, what? Let us go into the house of the Lord. Because when real worship takes place, there will be an awareness of God and how great He is and His claim on us, and our desperate need for Him. There'll be a response like bowing, and God, I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an, a, a people of unclean lips, and there'll be a, a cleansing and forgiveness, and then there'll be a requirement for change so that when we go out of here, people will see that transformation that has taken place Because Jesus Christ has entered your heart and life and you can never again be the same. If any of those three characteristics of worship are missing, then let me suggest you haven't really worshipped. But when true worship takes place, there is an awareness. There is a response like, like bowing and acknowledging His greatness. And there is a dramatic and radical change because you've been in the presence of the Almighty, the living, the one true God, and you can never, ever again be the same. Shall we pray? God, you have been so patient with us. You loved us and redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. And we come in here and some Sundays we just go through the motions and spin wheels and and go home and carry on as if nothing remarkable ever happened. And then there's some Sundays where we come in here and we know immediately that something special is about to transpire because you're in our midst and our hearts and lives are open to you and and you speak to us through everything that happens. And we hear your voice and we know what you want us to do. And it comes to that crisis of belief where we have to choose whether we're going to respond or not because response is never easy. But it's always good. And you say, pick up your cross and follow me. 
And we don't know exactly what that means. But we love you enough. We want to try. So give us the grace and strength to give it one more shot. (laughs) To come in here and worship. To express our love. And then to leave from here changed people going out and making such a radical difference in this community that people will know we have been in your presence. They'll want to know what's different. And they'll want to have it in their lives too. Help us be your ambassadors, your representatives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, an important part of worship is the invitation. God said, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. We conclude with an opportunity for you to respond publicly, professing your faith, redecorating or rededicating your life, or joining this church. Whatever decision you have to make, God's calling you to make it today. I'll be at the front to receive you. We'll stand and sing, Here am I, send me. Isaiah's words, let them be our words today. You stand, I'll be at the front as we stand and sing.